success, it has a way of blinding you. It has a way of making you think, well, it's okay uh, because I'm educated. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Mike Thacker Show, where we talk about people, profit, and purpose. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. You are listening to The Mike Thacker Show, where we talk about people, profit, and purpose. You may be watching this on YouTube. If you are, you get to see my good-looking, handsome appearance. And if you're not, then you just get to hear my radio voice. For today's show, I am so excited. I'm always excited, but I'm really excited about today's show. Our guest is Brian Mohica. Brian is an incredible guy. I met him through a mutual acquaintance. We've been trying to get this on recording for weeks and weeks. And boy, what a conversation this one was. He has a book that is titled From Cocaine to Christ. So right there, you already know what's going on here. 20 years of cocaine and alcohol addiction. And he finds Jesus, changes his life, launches a new company. He's got patents. He's got degrees. He's a registered nurse. This guy is a legend. And I'm I'm just I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So stay tuned for more. And before we get into that, I got to give my little plug out to Work Lodge, our show sponsor, as we're rolling out here, beginning of 2021, and all the hopefully crazy stuff has gone behind us. But flexible workspace that is simply incredible, if I do say so myself. Uh, I am a little bit biased, but it really is awesome. Other people tell us that all the time. If you're sick of working from home and you want to get out of the house, come talk to us. If your company wants you out of the office and they want you working somewhere else, come talk to us. If you own a company and you want to get your employees out from under your feet, come talk to us. Houston, Dallas, we got you covered. And the Woodlands as well, if you really want to break out Houston into different zones. But I genuinely don't believe you will find a more professional, more premium, just plain old awesome workspace, especially at the affordability that we deliver it for in great locations in the two cities that we serve. So worklodge.com, go check it out. That's my plug. We're going to dive back into the show and we're going to go straight into our conversation with Brian. I hope you enjoy it. The first thing we like to do is, and so to try and just build a little bit of, you know, rapport and affinity, we do this, this five question rapid fire. So you're not allowed to think about the answers. You got to go shoot from the hip. That's the best way. Okay. Well, we're going to see. So they're going to be super easy questions. And Brian, you got a lot hinging on this. Okay. So here we go. Number one, what is your favorite food? Chinese food. All right. Now we're talking. That's the best. Okay. I've had pizza, pizza, and more pizza. I'm like, I like a little pizza, but come on, guys. Give me something different. Nah, Chinese, so. Chinese food, man. Nothing beats the poopoo platter. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, number two, your favorite book in the past year? The Bible. Okay. All right. Staying with it. Number three, favorite movie ever? Oof. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, my word. I can't believe it. I can't. Literally, I can't believe it. Like Everybody is saying Shawshank Redemption. It's an easy one uh it's it's pretty good it's it hits home i gotta go watch it again a lot of people like can identify with downfall right um, it's just the way that it is and i and he had a downfall and everybody likes to see a nice comeback story so yeah no i've seen it but i just you know i'm kind of hoping someone's gonna say a star wars or a superman or something but yeah, nope, yeah, nope, i keep I getting shawshank redemptions okay number four favorite thing to do my favorite thing to do is work on building my brand i like talking with networking i like just trying to find the next lead. I like trying to develop a lead. That's my one of my favorite things to do. I mean, you know, there's all the other things, the family, uh, church, and things like that. Uh, but for right now, that's my favorite hobby. All right, keeping it keeping it entrepreneurial. I like it. Uh, and number five, okay, this is, this is a deep one. What's the best single piece of advice you've ever been given? If it happens, 
all glory be to God. If it doesn't happen, all glory be to God. Okay. Nice. I like that. If it happens, okay. I might steal that, Brian. I'm going to warn you now. Yeah. Hey, to- man, it's, it's an equalizer. It takes the pressure off of me. That's awesome. So, Brian, I did a little intro before you came on the show here, but I always like to give guests a chance to kind of tell it in their own words. So you got 60 seconds, you meet someone in the street, you're riding an elevator, you're at McDonald's in the line, whatever you want, and someone says, who are you and what do you do? What do you tell them? My name is Brian Mojica, and I am the CEO and inventor of Cathware. It's a medical underwear that I designed for patients that require the use of leg bags. It's covered through Medicare and it significantly improves the patient quality of life so that they don't have the embarrassing moments or the stigma of wearing a leg bag. So it's really interesting, you know, that you've chosen to gone into something like this. And, and obviously, you know, you've, you've got a little bit of a medical background. We're going to talk about that in, in, in just a few minutes. But I think sometimes we forget when we're healthy, what it's like for folks who aren't healthy. You know, we're so used to having yep. two hands, two arms, two legs, and they all kind of move the way they're supposed to and everything functions the way it's supposed to. And, and we forget there's so many folks out there dealing with very, very challenging, you know, situations. Absolutely. So you've invented um, this product that you now sell, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I had a vision in the operating room that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave me. I went home and uh, because I was in the United States Air Force, I have a high attention to detail. So I went home and I drew pictures of it. I drew different angles of it. Went to Walmart and uh, bought some underwear. Went to the arts and crafts store, uh, bought some material and had my stepmom making. She's a seamstress and had her making uh, cathware units that we were then uh, the prototypes that we were piloting on patients, trialing on patients, if you will. And we did that for, for quite some time, almost two years. Okay, so let me just recap here. So so you were in the operating room yes, and, sir. and God gave you a vision of something that you saw yeah. and you went yeah. home and started to make it, put it together. Kind of like, oh, this sounds almost like Sarah Blakely and Spanx, you know, just had this idea, obviously not necessarily a vision, but, you know, got the pantyhose and started chopping off and sewing. And Yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's the second time I saw her today, I saw something about her today in the past, uh, I would say hour. I knew a little bit about the story, but I'm going to look it up. Uh, for for some motivation. It's always good to see, um, you know, those types of stories. But yeah, it's similar to that. Uh, When I went into the operating room, the patient was in his underwear and he was about to get onto the procedure table. And it was a a procedure that I was involved in. And when I walked in, he had the the leg bag. It was a urine bag that goes around the thigh or around the ankle. And it has straps that go around the thigh and go around the ankle. But he didn't have those. He clipped it to the underwear with the safety pin. And it was like, it was in a very older, gentleman and it was like a tidy whitey and I, I saw the vision of this underwear so I went home and I drew not what he had but what I saw in the vision a different variation of it and then it just started to evolve um, you know once I started making modifications on it then I showed it to uh, my business partner who added some features to it once he added those features to it um, it started unlocking everything for me and I designed it so that it encompassed all drains so that somebody couldn't come behind me after uh, we, I fully own the patent so that somebody couldn't come behind me and then patent uh, another idea, which was essentially better. And that's the benefit of Cathware being designed by a registered nurse like myself, right. because I've thought of all of the patient's plight, the complications and things of the sort. So what is it, what is it like to invent something and then think, okay, 
How do I stop somebody else replicating it? I mean, obviously, I, you know, we understand in concept the idea of a, of a pattern, but what's it like going through that process? I mean, I'm presuming this is just you yeah. on your own. You haven't got a whole team around you. Yeah. How'd you figure yeah. it all out? That Well, that's a great question. I, I knew of patenting, right? Because we all, we've heard it. We've seen the, you know, patent pending signs and things like that. But I didn't know much. I didn't know what I was getting into. Essentially, to answer your question directly, you could knock anything off. Like Louis Vuitton gets knocked off, right? right. Nike gets knocked off. So Cathway is going to get knocked off. And we already have, uh, but not in the United States. So we own a U.S. patent that protects us in the United States. And I'm okay with that because our business plan is designed um, here in the United States. Anything that we get outside of is a plus. So we're, we're growing in Canada. And you know I, I find that to be an added benefit to everything that we're doing here in the United States. But that's the importance of drawing the images in that first stage. Um, it's something that I talk about in my up and coming book, Let It Flow, uh, which talks about my nurse entrepreneurial journeys and how to how to invent things and, and go about um, getting them patented and, and bringing them to market. When I drew those images, then I presented them to a patent attorney. And then, you know, there's an interview process that he goes through and he starts asking questions. You're essentially teaching it to him. But as you're teaching it to him, he's thinking of the uh, modifications that he needs to make claims on and things like that. That usually takes a couple of years, but we got the, the patent awarded within less than a year. I had the vision in the operating room in 2012. And by 2013, I had already been a, fully obtained the patent. Um, that was that was pretty interesting. One thing that I, I do want to mention in case somebody's listening and they want a patent. Yeah. I had the vision in 2012. I patented in 2013 and it's eight years later and I've yet to make a profit for my own pocket off of Cathware. Um, all of the money just gets recycled back into the company to continue to grow it. We have been selling for one year. Um, so it took about seven years to, to get the right product, to get the right team to establish the market. And the reason why that's significant is because when I was awarded the patent, I immediately thought that I was rich. I said, that's it, you know, and it's not. All you have is a patent. You might as well, um, you know, use it as a plate to put your slice of pizza on it because it doesn't really help unless you grow the brand or license it. So it's really interesting because as you're, as you're talking about this, and, and I've never put the connection together, um, you know, with what you do and, and you know, what I've learned about, about the Spanx, you know, story. Um, I did a masterclass with it, so that's why I'm a little bit familiar with the story. But um, it's funny because your, your perception was, man, I'm going to to get this patent, you know, and that's the jackpot, right? That's it. We got the patent. Everything's going to be okay from here on in. Let's go out and start making some money. But in reality, that's just the beginning of where the hard work starts. And yeah. Sarah says exactly the same thing. So she got a deal with Nordstrom to actually stock some of the, the Spanx products, you know, early on. And everybody around thinking, you know, jackpot, winning Vegas, whatever. And in her mind, it was like, no, 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 no. Okay. Now the hard work begins. And and, and I think that's the trait of a real entrepreneur is recognizing well, this is the starting step, not the finishing step. And now we got to hustle and move forward. Yeah. And I say it all the time. It is extremely difficult to obtain a distribution deal. And by the grace of God, we, and by the mercy of God, uh, we have five that we were able to get on contract this year. Wow. And, and, and those are national distributors. But let me tell you, it was nine months of Zooms, you know, because of everything that's been going on globally. It's been a lot of Zooms, a lot of phone calls, a lot of sample sending that I always say, like, if you want to knock off uh, at least my product, right. have at it, you know, because I think I think the love, excuse me, I know the love that I have for 
solving this problem for patients is what drives me. It's my motivating factor is just helping people. I never do anything for a monetary gain. I think if you do anything for a monetary gain, that's all you get. You just yeah. get money. Yeah. But when you do it, when you when you create value for yourself, when you build a brand, when you're solving a problem, you become a need. And that's what I want. I want to be able to do this for these patients. So that drives me. So that's why when you ask me, what's my favorite thing to do? It may have sounded funny to hear somebody be like, you know, your favorite thing to do is, is to develop a lead. It, and it is because it's like a, a cheetah in the wilderness, you know? You have to have the passion to go after that. Somebody else, they may just, you know, see the animal run by and say, eh, I'm not that hungry. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm hungry for the journey. And you hear it all the time in different aspects of life. You know, in, in school, I have multiple science degrees. Like the day I graduated, the day after, I was kind of like, OK, like, <laughs> you know, not, now what? Right. You know, there's no more. There's as much complaining as I did for the final exams. You know, there's no more and things like that. So it's very difficult to knock off something, especially that's a medical device, you know, getting on the calls with people like none of my business partners make any of the calls because nurses want to talk to nurses generally, especially when it's something where it's going to be put on their patient. Right. You know, so some one of my business partners that calls up and says, Cathware, and who are you? And well, I'm so and so it's going to be difficult. So even as a nurse speaking to a nurse, it's still very, very hard. So that alone with the patent, um, it helps me uh, be relaxed and know that, you know, I, I don't believe anybody's going to be able to do what we're doing for this brand. And I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. So Brian, I, I may have missed the, uh, you know, the detail on this one, but how, how big is this market? I mean, how many, how many people struggle with this kind of thing and, and what can you sell in a year or what is the market in total selling? Yeah, that's a great question. So the market right now is uh, 30 million Americans have a catheter in place from the data that we researched from anywhere from wow. two weeks to permanently. Wow. So we have a market size that we initially started with, but one that's more accurate is our average. We're selling about one and a half pairs uh, per patient. So that brings the market size to about uh, 66 billion nationwide. And we're going to probably take about 25% of that market. A lot of the patients have to go back into the operating room because the, the tubing, wherever it's coming out of the organ that's then attached to the, the leg bag, um, patients have to get... The, if they're putting their clothes on, they're taking their clothes off. If they're walking by a door, it's just kind of um, to give you a visual of it. Uh, the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man uh, villain, uh, Doc Ock, right? That he yep. has the the tentacles, you know, coming out of the back. So some patients have tubing, and it's like that. It's it, it's it's exposed outside of the body. It's long tubing and things of the sort. So sometimes you could just be walking by the bathroom and and get get it caught, or pulling down your pants and inadvertently pull it. So those patients have to go back into the operating room. I used to get called into the operating room in the middle of the night to replace those drains. So that further complicates things for patients as well. And out of those 30 million, 1 million patients get a new catheter placed every year. So there's 30 million that have it from two weeks to permanently. And also every year, there's a million drains that are placed. Wow. Okay. So this is this is clearly a business that has some, has some legs to it, has some scale to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And now we're tapping into the pediatric market as well um, that we just launched last week. Um, and that's a modified version of the original version 
for the um, the pediatric patient population, which is very underserved. Okay, so obviously you're 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 a founder, you're a startup guy. You know, you've got this business that you're trying to get going. You're reinvesting the profits. So let's talk about the team. You mentioned you know folks around you. It took you seven years, I think you said, to put together a team of people around you. Tell us about that story. What was it like to find the right people to help you with this and help really grasp that vision and believe in it with you? That's a great question, and it's very very important. The best way to build a team, and at least for me, and I believe that it will work for others as well. I looked at what I really didn't want to do. And I started checking things off of what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. I don't want to manage inventory. I don't want to negotiate contracts. I don't want to do spreadsheets. I don't know how to develop a business plan. I don't even know how to spell business plan. You know, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I wanted to maintain myself in a clinical environment. I wanted to speak to doctors, to nurses, to caregivers, and most importantly, to patients themselves. So once I identified what I wanted to do, and I identified what I didn't want to do, then right there I knew that I needed to hire my weaknesses. I wanted to hire the things that I didn't want to do. I needed to hire people that they love to do the things that I didn't want to do. I don't know anything about marketing, online marketing. I just maybe a year ago, started shopping online pretty frequently. And, you know, there's algorithms, there's ways to reach people and, you know, tracking people and things like that. I didn't want anything to do with that. So that's how I recommend that you or anyone pick a team. Think about what you don't want to do and then hire your weaknesses. That's such, it's such good advice. And, you know, I'll be honest. I, it, I believe it. I, I didn't, I didn't follow that. You know, I've, I've, I've started a few different things and it's one thing to know what you need, but then it's another thing to be able to find what you need and also find it at the level that you need it to be at. I don't know about, you know, other listeners who are, who are tuned in here today who started something and, you know, maybe you've got lucky, maybe you haven't with some of the people you've got around. But to me, this is the most crucial step. And it's such, you know, it's Big such time. good advice that you've given because if you get that right, you're going to go flying. You get it wrong, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, my business partner, his favorite thing to do, he has his master's in business. He loves all of the stuff that I hate to do. Right. And and he doesn't like anything nursing. He is not very compassionate, right? In the sense of like how a nurse is like very emotionally yeah. driven. Yeah. He's very linear. He's very, there's black and white, you know, either we're, we're doing this or we're not. And I'm kind of like, you know, like a nurse, like, okay, well, we're not doing this, but right for right now we are because, because this person's really sad and, and I just want to help them. And then we can go back to doing this. You know what I mean? Um, but, but he is half the brain and I'm the other half of the brain. And together uh, we're, we're a very, very organized, uh, small unit. It's, it's, essentially three of us uh, that are running the company. I ended up then hiring somebody else. And he's my childhood friend, um, Edwin Alvarez, that has the uh, master's degree. Then we ended up hiring someone else this year, which is another childhood friend of ours, uh, Miguel Lopez. And he is like a marketing genius, man. He will look at something and say, nope, this is what we need to do. And you know, we were staring at the same picture for four years and didn't even realize it was crooked until Miguel came. He just has that eye. But you know, it's also surrendering a lot of what we want as well. It's also surrendering like, you know, I couldn't have the final say. I couldn't always be the boss, you know, of everything that I wanted to do. I couldn't say, well, no, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. It was a team effort. So there were certain things that I needed to make sure that, all right, this, I have to kind of surrender it, you know, and, and I have to trust the other people that are on my team as well. And in that trust process was how we were all able to grow because successful leaders 
are the people that will let you make a decision, not necessarily agree with it, but let you do it anyway. Because right. as you make that decision, whether it's good or bad, it's a teaching moment. But if I'm sitting back like, you know, like a quarterback and I'm Tom Brady and I'm doing the whole thing and I'm saying, no, we're doing this, we're doing that. No, no one's going to grow. And you're only as strong as your weakest link. We've all heard that saying before. So that was important to me was to understand that I needed to let go in certain areas. And I believe a lot of people struggle with that. I believe a lot of brands don't grow to what where they're supposed to be because of that. It's not like, you know, this real, you know, arrogant, you know, I'm the CEO, I'm the registered nurse, like I'm calling the shots. No, you're not. Like, first of all, God is calling the shots and he's put right. this team together to help you grow. And let me tell you, man, a lot of decisions I didn't want to make. And I'm like, all right, like, you know, here we go. And just kind of putting our head down. And you know what? We came out on top. The ones that didn't work, we made it work. But also that worked for me because when I would make a decision and it wouldn't work, the team would be lenient with me as well. And that's something that I believe God showed it to me because nobody else ever taught this to me. Nobody ever said to me, this is what it takes to be a successful leader. And I was doing these things. And then later on, I found out uh, when I read a book through an accelerator program that we were in, which was essentially a business competition, uh, they gave us a book by Guy Kawasaki called The Art of the Start. And he talks about every single thing that we had already been doing within the company. So, you know, I attribute that to to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for just giving me a heads up on on what to do. You know, I'm a registered a nurse. I don't know anything about business. I don't know how to be in that environment, you know, how to conduct myself, how to negotiate, how to look at this and say, okay, well, we're going to cut here, but we're going to do that. And, um, you know, I, I encourage, again, uh, your listeners to really think about what it means to you if you want to call all the shots. You can, but is your team going to suffer because of that? I think, you know, there's so much good stuff here. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, God a little bit because, you know, we, we have to do what we can do to grow, you know, as people. And, and obviously we can read, we can learn, we can go to classes. Obviously you're an educated person. You've got multiple degrees and, you know, you're a registered nurse. But at the same time, we've got to make room as believing business people for God and, and you know, for, for his spirit to nudge us and guide us and prompt us. And I think for each one of us, sometimes that might look different or might sound different, but, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray, right? You know, give us today our daily bread. I mean, it's a daily prayer. It's a daily, hey, I, w- I want you to leave me. I want to, I want to seek you. I want to follow you. And I sometimes think we forget that in the business realm, we kind of compartmentalize sometimes a little too much. And this is all his anyway. So, you know, if it's his business and he's in, in control of everything and, and he owns everything it takes, anyway. It takes all the pressure off of us. Right? Yeah, it's so good. It really does. It really does. So let's change gears a little bit. We haven't talked about your background at all. And I know obviously that folks are going to be able to go and find a lot of this out. But why don't you tell us a little bit about pre-Cathware? You've lived an incredible journey. Um, you actually have a book out. And I have it right here. So I'm going to give it a little plug for you. From Cocaine Thank to Christ. You. I mean, From right there. To- when you've got a title like that, you've, you've, you've got somebody's attention, you know, right out the gate. So I don't I don't have a story like that. <laughs> and, um, and so obviously, folks, you can go buy the book. If you listen to this, uh, you know, on a podcast and not looking at it on YouTube, then you don't know what it looks like. But it's a pretty book. And it says From Cocaine to Christ right across the front in big bold letters. So you should be able to find it yeah, on it's Amazon. Pretty, it's, or- it's, it's pretty straight up. Yeah. And it is on Amazon. Thank you for that. Mike. No, absolutely. Um, well, tell us about it. What what happened? I mean, holy moly. How do you go from there to here? It's 
<laughs> you can't just I, say Jesus. We need a little bit more information. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and that's the beauty of and the power of testimony, right? Because somebody looks at a semi-finished product and then it's like, oh, wow, this guy's like some inventor and, and he did this and he d- does that, you know, but it took a complete train wreck, you know? So to answer your question directly, how do we go from there uh, to here? It truly is the grace and mercy of God. I mean, I was uh, addicted to alcohol and cocaine for 20 years straight. And I lived, uh, well, my father drank and my uncles drank and my cousins drank. If you had a bad day, we drank. If you had a good day, we drank. If I had a good day, we drank. It's just that, you know, it's Christmas, it's New Year's, like it's just everything, all the game is on. And little did I know that I couldn't handle any of that. And what I was doing was, was essentially just destroying my life. I ended up going through a horrible divorce because of it. I mean, literally, and it was right after we won our first invention contest for Cathway. We got the patent awarded in July. And then like that October, two weeks before the event, somebody told us about it. We applied. They got us in right away because it was a patented idea. And I remember that after that event, we won first place. I went to the house and, you know, I had a bar in the back of the garage. And I mean, I just ended up getting hammered. And I was like, wow, I made it. I made it like rah, rah, rah. And within two months from winning that contest, my life just started to completely spiral. It was just catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe in my arrogance. And that's what led me to to God was essentially this this very horrible, horrible time. I used to make fun of people that talked about God. I used to make fun of Christians. I used to think that men that serve God were the weakest men in the world. And you know what? I was right. Uh, We are weak, but in in him, in Christ, we're strong. Um, I remember my mom used to come over to the house and I used to say, mom, I'm not doing any of that. And, you know, like I'm, I'm all set with religious, you know, with religion and religious people. And my mom used to come over and I used to wait until she came over. I would leave out the side door so that I wouldn't have to see her. Or I would leave when I knew she was coming because my mom was in the light, you know, and I was living in, in darkness. I would text my uh, wife at the time, you know, tell me when mom leaves and then I'd come home, you know, and it was just a very, very destructive lifestyle. And because I was an inventor and because I was working on my second science degree at that time, success, it has a way of blinding you. It has a way of making you think, well, it's okay because I'm educated or it's okay because I have this going on, you know, and I was just living just a shell of a life. But inside, it was inside of my home, inside of my heart. Um, It was just very dark and, and things were just crumbling around me. So we ended up going through a divorce and I just went through a very, very depressive time. I was depressed for three years, uh, still kept drinking. I was suicidal. And um, again, I'm very, very thankful. I never imagined, you know, that I would be in this uh, type of of a situation. And that's what I talk about in my first book, From Cocaine to Christ, that I was sitting in my living room one day and I was contemplating suicide. I just remember crying and I had a vision of Jesus Christ while I was sitting on my couch and then I was pacing the living room and I just had a vision of Christ. And he said to me, I'm going to give you another opportunity, but you have to quit drinking and the drugs. I'm not going to do it for you. And I just remember saying, like, you know, I promised you so many times that I was going to quit drinking and doing drugs. Like, I, I, I'm i not going to do it. Like, what makes you think I'm going to do it now? And man, it was 
I just remember just like this, just how you see this on the screen. I just remember it was a finger like floating and it was just like this 3D. It was it was larger at the tip and then it was uh, smaller at, in the back. And I just saw a finger floating around my face, man, um, in the spirit. And I, I had never known anything supernatural up to that point. I had no recollection of who God was or a reconciliation to God through Christ. None of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was crying and the Lord said to me, it's going to work now. And I said, why? And he said, because now I gave you my spirit, Brian. Now you're going to be able to do it. And then in the vision, the Lord went across the street and he was pacing next to a tree on grass with his the two hands like kind of behind his back, like how it looks when somebody paces. And he just kept going back, like back and forth. And there was a road. Um, and I remember the yellow stripes on the road. And the Lord kept saying to me, I need you to cross the street. Then I saw another hand that went like this. And he said, I'm going to take you somewhere where nobody can take you, but I need you to quit drinking and doing drugs. He said, I don't work with people that drink and do drugs because the devil will kill you. And I just remember getting drunk and high one more time after that. Um, I, I think like two nights later, uh, I got drunk and high and um, man, I woke up really sick. I woke up really sick and I was throwing up. And I just remember saying that that was it. I remember saying that that I, I've reached the end. I know what that life is like. I, I, I know what that feels like. I didn't know what it was like to serve the only living God. I didn't. And I wanted to know. And I've been five years sober since then. That was five years ago on September 26th. You know, I ended up having to drop out of nursing school when I was going through the divorce. So that's why the patent took so long from right. 2012. Right. That's that was that's what added to that gap. I, I had to put everything on the shelf just to get my mind right. And then right when I was about to graduate, that was when I I don't know what, what ended up happening. I think I spoke to somebody and they motivated me to, to take the patent off the shelf, if you will, and do something with it. And then that's when I just started putting two and two together and I just started, you know, making some phone calls and it just became a project for me. So, so that's why I'm so motivated now to do stuff. You know, like I had mentioned, you know, I already have a second book coming out called Let It Flow, which is that journey of, of becoming an entrepreneur, because I keep saying to myself, like, wow, like if God was able to do this stuff through me when I was, you know, half in the bag, like I want to know what it's what it's like now when I have, you know, a sound mind. And um, it's 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 a different life. It truly is. It truly is. And, and to see where God has taken me now, six U.S. patents, one European patent, you know, multiple science degrees, working on my second book. Uh, I ended up remarrying and, you know, to a woman that the, my wife, Eunice, uh, similar background as me as well. We have so much in common. And through the grace of God, I have a great relationship with my ex-wife. We have a son together and we co-parent extremely, extremely well, you know, and I've made peace with everybody in my past. And that's why I can get so involved now in the things that I'm doing. It, you know, now things that when I do them, I don't do them for me. I don't do them for selfish gain, right? The old Brian, I won the contest and I went and got drunk and high. Now, when I close the deal, I give glory to God. What a story. Again, this book is called From Cocaine to Christ. You can go read more of Brian's story, you know, there. But it's just, it's amazing to, you know, to hear stories about how God just shows up and relates to us exactly where we're at. I'll tell you what's really interesting. This is my third recording 
recording this week for the podcast and um, we've done three uh, sessions all with guys and mental wellness has come up in every single one of them and depression has come up in every single one of them. I was chatting with um, with Trav, you, you know, the, the episode will come out here in a little while and it was um, for him that was the thing that, you know, kind of changed his life and really spurred him to do something different and let him on the career path that he's now on. It's amazing. It's one of those subjects that just, it doesn't seem like it's talked enough and so many people, you know, struggling with these stats that are just unbelievable, you know, one in two entrepreneurs, I think it is, that, you know, is going to suffer from depression. Um, it's just a whole host of, of data that, that shows how crazy it is. And obviously this for you was before you were an entrepreneur, if I'm, if I'm understanding the story correctly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the reason why, why no, especially men uh, don't talk about depression is because of the way that we've been programmed to you're a man and, you know, and, and come on and, and suck it up buttercup and, and things like that. Yep. That's worse than almost the depression itself. Yep. It's not healthy for or, or not socially accepted, you know, for a man to cry and all of all of these things, you know, and you can you keep those things bottled up. The world has put this ruler on what a man, a, a measuring stick, if you will on what a man is supposed to do and not do. And then we have to measure this ruler that was given to us by the world. And that ruler, like the goalposts, it keeps moving, right? It keeps growing. It, it, you never reach... Uh, the 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 specifications or the requirements of this perceived uh, measuring stick. And that's why I have found immediate freedom through Christ, because I know that I will never measure up to that ruler, not only ruler in measurement, but ruler as ruler of all yeah. and king of kings. And he accepts me for that. He loves me anyway. He says, you know, you're not going to meet my standards because we all fall short of the glory of God, but he still calls us sons and daughters. And that's when I really was able to be free. You know, comparison leads to depression. And right. in the world, there's so much, well, well, Brian, you know, like I invented a medical underwear and there were times where the imposter syndrome would come in and I'd be like, well, it's not the cure for cancer. And I'd say, you know what? Like I'm solving a problem. Maybe you have a better invention than me. Maybe you have the cure for cancer. Maybe you have the world's best cardiac stent. And that's your problem. That's the one you're solving. But I have my problem that I'm solving. And to Together, like the body of Christ, together we're we're advancing healthcare. And I learned to not compare myself to anybody. That's how I was when I was drinking. You know, that's that's why I drank because I had like this emptiness. I had this void. You know, I used to go into parties and I used to be so loud. And now I know that I was loud because I was insecure and I needed attention. You know, and it's helped me be a better business owner because I don't have to compare myself to anybody. I just have to be better than I was yesterday. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's what happens with depression, right? Depression, the formula that somebody taught me once, and it we need to know, like your mind is like a compass, right? And I use this, uh, what I'm about to say, like a compass. And what I was taught was, is that depression comes from looking behind and anxiety comes from looking ahead. 10 out of 10 times when you're depressed, you're probably thinking about something that you said, something that you did, something that did, an expectation that wasn't met, right. that's in the past. So you need to know, like, oh, I'm feeling a little depressed. What, what am I thinking about? Oh, I'm thinking about my divorce. I need to be in the present now. That's why the Bible says, be still, right? And know that he is God. Then the other side of the compass, the other spectrum is the anxiousness, the anxiety. And that comes from looking ahead, right? Like, you know, last year I got called into my boss's office, you know, and, you know, she's like, I need you to come into the office. I don't know why bosses never just tell you what it's about, right? Like they just tell you, come in, 
into the office, like, you know, you could have just said to me what it was. And because what I went through was very, very traumatic when I was depressed, the, it's like a PTSD was was kicking up in me. And I wanted to fight that anxious feeling. And the anxiety came from thinking ahead, thinking about what was my boss going to say? What did I do? Did I get in trouble? Did I give a patient a wrong medication? Like the, what happened that they're calling me in? And I remember praying the whole way. It was a 30 minute commute to the home office. I just remember saying, whatever's going to happen, you know, God, I surrender it to you. Like, I'm not going to worry about this. Again, it's recognizing where your brain is at. Is it in the past or is it in the future? And right. bringing it central to that moment. I said, while I was driving, I said, for right now, I'm just sitting in my car. Yeah. When I got to the lobby of my job, I said, for right now, I'm just sitting in the lobby. Yeah. When I got into my boss's office, I said, right now, I'm just waiting to hear what she has to say. I went in and I got a raise. Wow. And if that's what I mean about knowing where your mind is at, knowing who the God is that we serve. Like that was my greatest moment that, that I was able to really like a wild Bronco control my brain. The old me, if I felt anxious, I, I, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I got to go drink. Let me go have a drink and calm myself down or let me have a cigarette or let me, you know, smoke or let me take a hit of cocaine to calm myself down. Really, that stuff was making it worse. So when she started talking to me about all these good things that she's been hearing, I wanted to go like, <sighs> like you know, so that's why I encourage any man or anyone, child, woman, that's going through something where they're depressed or whether they're anxious, think about that. Think about what you're thinking about and surrender that to the moment. Isn't it funny how the human mind just automatically just goes to the negative? Oh, my boss wants to see me. It must be something bad, right? Yep. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because on Monday, I was speaking to a friend about that. And that's exactly the conversation that we have. I actually have it written down on a notepad. Right. Is, uh, I have a doctor's appointment. Is something wrong? Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, no, you know, I have to go to the mechanic. Is there something wrong with the car? No, I just need an inspection sticker. You wow. know what I mean? Like, wow. it's just the way that we've been programmed with just, you know, failure after failure after fa failure in the average human's life. And that's something that I speak about that I open up my book, Let It Flow With, which is unfortunately, most of us identify with each other's failures because not all of us have a lot of success stories. So when you start talking about a success, story, it's, it's very foreign to people. Unfortunately, it's very foreign to most people. But when you start talking about divorce, 75% of the room goes, oh my God, let me tell you about my divorce. You know what I mean? Like, and we just identify with so much heartache, yeah. you know? So that's why I'm very, very comfortable speaking about my past addictions, speaking about the highs and lows of becoming an entrepreneur, because I believe that in transparency, there's growth, not only for you, but also for other people. See, like, I'm okay with talking about my past addictions because every time I talk about it, I'm removing myself from that person more and more. It's literally buried in the past. But because I'm able to talk about it, it's helping other people. Because I put it in a book, other people can read it and pick up on it and say, wow, I used to do that too. Or I used to do that too. And I do that in the Let It Flow book. I talk about the troubles that I've had I'm making business decisions, my weaknesses as a leader. Because I know that probably eight out of 10 people that read all of the failures that I have listed in uh, Let It Flow, which should be coming out before the end of the year, they're going to say, man, I remember that. And that's what we need to do. We need to connect with each 
other, remind each other that we're human, remind each other what it was like when we were in the cave and really start to embrace one another and actually move in stride to success, to freedom, to free from depression, free from addictions, free from anxious thoughts, you know? So I know that there's at least one person that's going to benefit from that formula because it was very, very insightful for me to learn. Depression comes from looking behind and anxiety comes from looking at. That's awesome. Listen, we could chat all night, but we're get, we're going to run out of time. So I got two things I like to finish with, um, with every guest that we're visiting with. So these are going to be these are going to be toughies, Brian. I'm I'm just okay. I'm just letting you know you're going to have to sit tight. So first question, okay? It's all over. You're six feet in the ground. What's the one thing you hope people remember about you? I didn't quit. All right. Okay. That's 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 good. That's good. And then the, the next question: What's the one piece of advice you would leave to the world? Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Okay. Can't argue with that either. Brian, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for the conversation. Um, dude, it's just been awesome. Thank you. I don't know what I was expecting, but I don't know that I was expecting this. And uh, I know I'm feeling encouraged. I hope the listeners are feeling encouraged too. But yeah, no, I'm so excited for you and what you're doing. I'm so excited for what God's doing through you, you know, and with this brand. And uh, we're just looking at anticipation for the future and, uh, and Thank you. you know, seeing that logo, uh, you know, all over the place. But uh, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of loop some of this stuff out here and, and finish it off. But Brian, what can I do to help you, buddy? How can, how can I help? Uh, you've done enough. I want to help you with whatever you need. You let me know. Anything that I can do to help promote this platform, whatever you need. Okay. Awesome. Brian, take All care. All right, brother. And I'll stay in touch. Genuinely stay in touch. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not the end. I know that. Well, there you have it. What a guy. What a story. Oh my word. You know, it's funny. Years ago, I was part of an organization called Teen Challenge. It's the, the first place we worked at when we came to the United States. My wife and I were interns there for a few months during college. And we worked around folks who were like Brian, people who had been involved in, um, you know, addictive substances and that kind of thing. And so I've got a little bit of firsthand knowledge of what that's like coming out of it. Obviously, Brian's story was, I mean, nothing short of miraculous. I mean, just to literally flip a switch and, and and stop overnight but how God's been able to work through him how God's been able to use him give him direction it's one of the it's one of the just amazing things about being a Christian about about having faith in this creator who made everything and is a creative person you know and we are too as, as humans to be able to go to him and say hey you know I've got this idea but I don't know what to do with it or maybe I don't have an idea but just to be led and directed down a path that, that brings incredible joy and also brings incredible life change to the people that you're serving as, as Cathware obviously does Hope you enjoyed the episode. Really appreciate you listening. If you haven't already, you know, take a couple minutes to share this episode with somebody else that you think might enjoy it. Just think of one person and go ahead and shoot them that link. Thanks so much for the reviews. Thanks for the ratings and the, the stars. If you haven't left any yet, appreciate you taking a couple of seconds to do that as well. And we're going to wrap it up. Find me online at realmikethacker.com on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, the website's the best place to go. Sign up for our newsletter, get the latest and greatest, get some cutting edge stuff that we don't share anywhere else. Mike Thacker com or beamazingwithmike.com. You can go to either one. It's going to take you to the same place. And you can read some blog posts, some devotionals, and, and a bunch of other content that's coming down the pipe later this year. Until next time, let's go out there and be amazing.